I just want to say Merry Christmas because that's what we're doing here today. Now, perhaps you've seen the movie A Christmas Carol. The movie came out in the 1930s or 40s. It came out again in 1984. It came out again in 2009. All of it based on a book by Charles Dickens. The book, A Christmas Carol, written in like 1849 or something. The book is marvelous. It tells the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, who's visited by the ghost of Marley. And Marley's ghost says to him, you're going to get three visitors in the night. You're going to get the ghost of Christmas past. You're going to get the ghost of Christmas present. You're going to get the ghost of Christmas future. I just want to say thank you to our team and thank you, thank you, Lord. Amazing. You know, Brent Johnson and, and, and all of those people, but he's so gifted and talented all the way across the board. And I just love that guy. Love that guy. All right. So I decided to use that as the theme for how I could teach this morning looking back through these books and introducing this book that I'm going to give you. But there are no ghosts. This is not a ghost thing. These are the gift of Christmas past, the gift of Christmas present, and the gift of Christmas future. So the past would have been the Psalms book, the Torah book, and the Jesus for Living book. The gift of Christmas present is the one that you'll get as you leave today, the Minor Prophet book for next year. And then I'm going to talk to you a little bit, time allowing, about the future and the epistles book because I'm not teaching that one. I'm just writing it. So we're going to start Revelation upon my return in January. I hope you'll be here for that. But this is uh, the new one will be stuff that's not been taught as class. So with that, let's go back in time to the Psalms book. Here's one. I love you. O Lord, my strength, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I don't know what kind of family you grew up in. This is a family photo of us uh, last August uh, uh, over in front of Yarnton Manor in England, and uh, uh that, I mean, I, these, this is my family. These are my mom and these are our kids, their spouses, and our grandkids. And we got that great photo. I grew up in a family where it is not at all uncommon to say, I love you. My dad, as a man, would say, I love you. In fact, my dad's famous quote to me was, you will never know how much I love you until you have your own kids, which was true. Some people, some dear friends of mine, grew up in a home where the dad would have never said, I love you. It was a different age. They grew up differently, different cultures, and all the rest. And I'll bet if I took a poll, I'd get some hands of people who grew up in a house where the dad didn't say that. Um, Maybe the mom didn't say it. Maybe you're in a house where you don't say it. But I find it front and center in this psalm 
Because the psalmist, David, has an intensely personal relationship with God. Go back and look at that again. Look at the passage. I love you. He just says it. He says it to God. I love you. And that word, racham, for love, this is the only time in the Old Testament where it's used in the cow form. It's usually a PL form. But in the, 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 what it's saying is it's, a, it, it, it's the same root, the same basic three letters as a mother's womb because it's a very devoted love. It's a very sincere love. It's a very deep love. And the psalmist says... I love you to God. We're missing something if we just read past it. We're missing the intensity of the personal relationship that is there between the psalmist and God. And his love for God isn't some ooey-gooey emotion that just comes and goes. It's deeply rooted in his history with God. As you look at this, you can see this history with a sequence of events that should not be missed. One domino after the other. Go back and look at it again. He says, I love you, O Lord, my, oh no, there, my strength. My strength. God's not merely strong. God is my strength. This little, looks like a comma up at the top, often means, and when it's at the end of a Hebrew word, and you read Hebrew this way, that often means mine. My strength. God is not just my strength. God is also uh, um, my rock. Okay, is it going to do this every time? My rock. The word for rock there um, is, is not just like some big boulder. It's like a, a rock with a cleft in it where you can hide. David's had to hide from King Saul. David's had to hide from the Philistines. David, he's saying God is my rock in the sense of a hiding place. He also says he's my fortress. And that's a rock that you would scale. That's like something to go up. God is my fortress. He is my rock. He is my strength. God is my deliverer. Mine. You see this has got my. Look every time you see that. My. Mine. Mine. This is who God is to me. He is my God. He is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield. He's the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. He's got a love for God that's rooted firmly in the character and the act.
works of God in his life. Say, well, you know, it's a lot nicer if you just love not for what you're getting out of it. That's never going to be the case with us, with God especially. God doesn't call any one of us, any one of us into a relationship with him without planning on giving us all that he can. All that is good and right for us within the kingdom of his purposes. And, and that's the assurance. I mean, half the time we don't take it. Keith McKellar came up to me and said, my wife knows you like peanut butter cookies. She made you some with the Chicago Public School recipe right here. Now, what am I going to do? Well, obviously, I'm going to keep these away from Becky. But <laughs> I could have said, oh, tell Debbie, thank you, Keith, but I don't want to take the gift. Well, that would be stupid. These could be really good. We, we, we have gifts from God. He wants to be our strength. He wants to be our rock. He wants to be our fortress. He wants to be our deliverer. He wants to be our shield. It's just a lot of times we say, no thanks. And we try and live life on our own. And that's ridiculous. But I'll tell you, this sequence of events isn't any different in the New Testament. Remember, it's in John chapter 15 that Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Well, who laid down their life for us? Jesus. And don't we love him? But this is why John is able to also say, We love because he first loved us. It's what he has done in our life that draws us into love. And so I ask you to pray with me. Lord, you have saved me over and over from so many problems and pains in this world. You've never left. You've never forsaken me. And I know the magnificence of reliance on you. So thank you, my God, for your ever-present love. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that is one of the psalm devotionals. Here's a second. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he'll speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. I am able as are you. To exist and just listen to the 21st century. Do you realize the constant barrage of noise inundating us? I was driving to church when this lady. Not true. But you get on the roads, you'll hear them honking. Or you'll hear the engine revving. Or have you ever gone up to a light with your windows rolled up, the windows of the car next to you rolled up, and your car is shaking from the base of their speakers? <laughs> boom, 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 boom. 
You can't go to the grocery store without hearing music playing. And how many people keep their TVs on all the time? Or background noise? Not to mention how often our phones go off. It's no surprise we get songs stuck in our head and we can't get out of them. I'm watching, almost through watching this Korean drama entitled Live Up to Your Name. And you've got this doctor from the Joseon dynasty, so 500 years ago in Korea, who somehow gets transported into the modern world and then meets this uh, uh, doctor that they become frenemies at first um, and then she winds up going back with him into the old time and they're back forth. and his first time to go back to the old time he's laying there on a field and he says boy my ears just needed a break that 21st century is loud all the cars, all the music, all the commotion. And sometimes we need that same break because we want to hear what God the Lord will speak. And sometimes it's really tough. It's one reason that I, I, I write this in hopes that people will just sit in quiet and read it. Otherwise, I could just do video thoughts for the day, and you could hear it. But but just to quietly sit and try to hear what the Lord will speak, I really want to hear God in my life. I want to hear what God will speak because He will speak peace to His people. The word translated for in the Hebrew is key. He means because. I want to hear what he's saying because he's going to speak peace to his people. That Hebrew word peace, shalom, can be translated a lot of different ways. So the the translators can say, God, listen to God. He's going to speak peace into your life. Or he could translate it or she could translate it just as easily. He's going to speak completeness into your life. He could, or she could translate it also. God's going to speak contentment into your life. Oh, how many people need contentment? She or he could translate it prosperity. Is that a prosperity gospel? No, not in that sense. Look, hard times come on everybody. We all struggle. But God will speak and lead you in ways that allow you to prosper in his kingdom sense. He's not promising to make you Jeff Bezos. He's promising to make you content and complete and prosperous in that way. He's promising to make you tranquil. He's promising to speak safety into your life. He's speaking health into your life. All of that's wrapped up in God. Does that mean that I'll never die if I... Well, actually, that does mean you'll never die. Oh, this body will, but you won't. God will speak into our lives 
in pragmatic ways that help us daily as well as eternal ways. And this is not any different than what Paul was saying when Paul said, don't be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, everything let prayer and supplication, asking God while you thank him, knowing he's going to do it. Let your requests be made known to him and the peace And Paul's using that word as a Hebrew, not as a Greek. The completeness, the wholeness, the tranquility, the contentment of God, which passes all understanding, will guard, will be your security, like Psalm 18 said. Will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, we've got a job to do. That's not just all God. Go back to the psalm. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. He'll speak peace to his people, to his saints. But don't let them turn back to folly. Don't return to foolish behavior. Instead, fear God. And this is what Paul's saying. He not only says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7... Don't be worried, but in everything by prayer, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. But he goes on to say, whatever's true, honorable, just, right, pure, lovely, commendable, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. See, a lot of people want the peace of God, but don't want the God of peace. A lot of people want peace but aren't willing to walk with the Lord to get it. So would you pray with me? Lord, help me to hear you above the noise of this life. Let me hear your instructions for life. Help me walk in your peace. Don't let the noise of my problems drown out the voice of your answers. So may I live in your peace and may I share it with others in Jesus' name. Amen. That gives you two samples out of the Psalms. We won't have as much time to get all of the rest of these samples, but I want to give you some more. Uh, From the Torah book, book number two. This is one of my favorites. By the way, so when I was writing the Torah book, I started writing it, and I wrote about 28 devotionals before I got out of Genesis and the Garden of Eden. I wrote almost all of January, and I was talking to my son about it. And my son, uh, Will, and our daughter-in-law, Nora, lived in Israel for a good bit uh, while he was doing a two-year postdoc at Hebrew University. And, and my son said to me, hey, Dad, you know how a practicing Jew will typically read a parasha, a, a, a section of the Torah every week during the year, to read through the Torah in a year? And I said, yeah. He said, you should write your devotional book to correspond to the Hebrew reading. I thought, that's brilliant. And so I looked. Well, I'd spent all of January, 28 days of it, 
on the first two chapters, three chapters of Genesis. And now all of a sudden I have seven days and I have to throw away 21 of them. And what's worse, I have to write devotionals out of these obscure chapters in Deuteronomy and Numbers that you're just like your eyes are bleeding trying to find the devotional thought. But it's there. So look at Exodus 39. He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue and the opening of the robe and it was like the opening in a garment with a binding around the opening so it might not tear. On the hem of the robe they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. I know the devotional on that jumps right out at you too. I actually find this passage a bit frightening. No, I'm not scared about how you make clothes. A robe doesn't really scare me. But look at the attention to detail that God gave in this instruction. God said, make the robe woven all of blue. Make the opening like the opening in a garment and put a binding around the opening so it won't tear. Because it's going to be taken on and off. And God's telling them how to make it so that it'll last a long time. Don't want to have a ripped robe in front of God. This is the robe for the priest to wear when he serves God. And then with this artistic flair... Make it beautiful. Put these pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen around the bottom. Now, this is in Exodus. You're just one scroll away from this same God creating the vastness of space and all of the universe and all of the solar systems and all of the galaxies, and all of the planets, and all of the asteroids, everything. All the way down to the DNA strand that makes you and I unique. That God, who created the vastness of everything, cares enough to speak into Israel and tell them exactly how to make a robe so that it lasts and is beautiful. That's a detailed God. Why do we have any fears? Jesus said, you can get two sparrows for one penny. Two sparrows for one penny. He doesn't even say, think of how cheap a sparrow is. Because they're not half a penny. You get two for a penny. Two sparrows for a penny. That's how cheap they are. They're cheap as bugs. Yet not one of them. See, two for a penny, but not one will fall down without God knowing about it. The hair 
on your head is numbered. I've not had a haircut since February. And everybody's riding me about it except a few of y'all, including my wife. And as long as my wife says keep growing it, it's going to keep growing. And I want to tell you something. I don't know if it's true or not, but Randy Travis, supposedly, when he was turning 16, 15, he said, Dad, when I turn 16 in a year, can I get a truck? His dad said three things. Number one, you got to go to church, Sunday school, every Sunday. You can't miss once. Number two, you got to make A's. And number three, you got to get a haircut. <laughs> After a year, Randy Travis goes to his dad and says, Dad, I'm turning 16. I've not missed church one time. I've gotten all A's. And while my hair is still long, Jesus had long hair. And his dad looked at him and said, that's right, son. And Jesus walked everywhere he went. (laughs) Here's the way I said it in the devotional book. When we worry about today or tomorrow, when we fear what may or may not come, We need to remember our God who takes care of details. He will hear our cries and come to our rescue. Now that might mean solving our problem. Or it might mean teaching us how to walk through our problems in his care. Either way, we're never in danger that he might overlook us. Forget about us. Or simply not care. Not this God. He gives great attention even to a priest's robe. Would you pray with me? Lord, we don't always live in faith before you. We doubt. We worry. We get anxious about what's before us. Instill in us greater faith in you. Please. Watch over our details, lead us in your ways, and strengthen our faith in you. We pray through your great name. Amen. Now, in the interest of time, I'm going, nah, I got to do this one. Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of the house of Israel or any of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering, for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it'll be a male goat without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. Now, when I was uh, living in New York, I was probably about fourth, fifth grade when I played youth football for the first time. And I went in knowing that it was going to be dicey whether or not they made me the star quarterback or the star running back. (laughs) So when I was told I was the right guard, and they weren't talking deodorant, when I was told I was the right guard, which basically means offensive line, which basically means nobody knows who you are, Coach Bowman, I was stunned, and I wanted to quit. And I went upstairs to my bedroom, 
Rochester, New York, and my dad came in to my room. And he sat down on the side of my bed. And he said, uh, first he explained to me how important a pulling guard is, that it does make a difference. Then dad said to me, what's really important is that you do your very best. This is a team sport, and if that's the position you're going to play on on this team, you owe it to everybody to give 110%, and you are not allowed to be a quitter. And so I didn't quit. I was a pulling guard and uh, made it through without being the star quarterback or the star running back. And then decided as I got into high school, I needed to debate. <laughs> that is me, by the way, in high school, a debate. Um, and my hair was just as long then, I just would like to say. Now, here's the deal. This passage is telling us to give God our best. Say, when you sacrifice, don't get rid, don't use that as an excuse to cull your hurt. You give God your very best. When the people of the house of Israel are any of the sojourners in Israel, it's a call to give your best and don't use the excuse, well, I'm not Jewish. Everyone is called for their vows or just something they're giving anyway. A free will offering. Well, you know, I'd give my best if it was one of them required things. But this is like me going above and beyond the required stuff. So I can like, no, we give the best for it to be accepted. It's to be without blemish. It's a different way of living. Jews don't sacrifice anymore in, in the sense of an animal sacrifice because the temple's been destroyed and that's where they were to sacrifice. Christians don't do animal sacrifices anymore because we have the complete sacrifice of Christ for our sins, fully atoning for us. Nothing more we can add to it. But all of us live doing free will offerings to God. We still try to give back to God, recognizing what he's given us. And we need to give God our best. And that includes the way we live and serve him with other people. So, Lord, help me to give you my best of my own free will. In your name, amen. Now, I was going to talk about the last one, the Jesus book, but Gail did it for me. She and I picked the same passage, which is splendid. Thank you, Gail, because I don't have time. So remember what Gail said. Zachariah said to the angel, you know, this angel's just come to Zachariah and say, going to get a boy, going to get a baby. Elizabeth's going to have a baby, even though Elizabeth's like way past baby age, and so is Zachariah. And Zachariah says, how will I know this? Okay, you don't have to read Sherlock Holmes on this one. He was, I want to be kind here, so I'll just call him adult. He was, he, was not, he was not thinking clearly. Let me put it that way. Because I'm with Gail. I mean, the, the angel shows up in the part of the temple where only priests are allowed. I mean, let's be Captain Obvious on this one, okay? You can look at this in three different ways and see an issue. First of all, the job that he had was priest. He should know better. 
He's supposed to be listening to God and serving God. He should know his scripture. Daniel 8 and 9, when the angel shows up, that's God telling you something important. And it happens where the angel just appears there. And he's like, into all of this? And then he says, all right, but give me a sign. I'd like a sign. Okay, God says, the angel says, how about this? You're not going to be able to talk or listen. You ask for it. Lord, thank you for your love and forgive my feeble faith in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here's your minor prophets. You've got the book. You can take it with you. But I've pulled out something to read to you. December 5. December 5 says, they refused. Well, oh, I was going to show it to you. That's why I had this one out this way. I want you to see the layout. The layout's the same as, as every other year, except it seems, even though they use the same font every year, it seems I have more trouble reading it than I have in years gone by. But this little machine makes a real difference. They is from Zechariah, that Old Testament book that few who read. <laughs> they refused to pay attention. They turned a stubborn shoulder. They stopped their ears. They might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the word of, that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. And it's got the teaching and devotional and it ends with a prayer just like we've been doing. Here's the teaching. When I started playing guitar, I was good for about 15 minutes of practice. I think I was a sophomore in high school. Then I had to quit. The strings were killing my fingertips. Now, I'd played violin for about four years, but it had been quite a while, and so my fingertips were, didn't have the calluses. But over time, calluses developed on my fingertips from pressing them over and over on the steel strings. And the calluses were great for guitar playing. But if I had needed my fingertips to read Braille, I'd be in trouble. Because they weren't sensitive enough to discern the letters. Consider this idea when reading today's passage. Zechariah explained that the people had developed calluses on their heart. These calluses had no good purpose. They were destructive. They deprived the people of knowing the reality that was the voice of God. How did the people develop these calluses on their hearts? When they would hear God, they would ignore what they heard. Like a child who doesn't hear his parents say, come here, and pretends not to hear, and so doesn't obey, so the people turned away from God's instructions for their lives. Over time, these small acts of disobedience became a horrible habit and made the people insensitive to God. They began to live as if there was no God. They heard and understood nothing from him. I read this, and I wrote this, with melancholy feelings. I know there are times where God's clear instructions and voice are apparent to me, and yet sometimes I ignore them. 
Like a child who puts his fingers in his ears to try and shut out a parent's directive, I push on as if I hear or know nothing. This isn't simply detrimental in the moment. Over time, it makes me insensitive to God's word in many arenas. I begin to lose touch with my God as my spirit becomes calloused to him. And this moves my prayer for a more sensitive and soft heart. Even as it incites me to be more deliberative about hearing and obeying God. Listen the first time, as my dad used to say. Lord, I repent from times I've ignored you. Please soften my heart and tune my ears to hear your voice. In your name I pray, amen. Well, I want to give you one last one. And so I want to give you one that's in the upcoming devotional book, Epistles for Living. And it's July 27th in that book. It's Philippians 4.4. 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I try real hard at the start of each of these to tell an interesting story, maybe. Most of the time, they're personal stories. This one has me, Mom, I think I was about fourth grade. You may have a better memory. But I was really hungry. And I must admit to loving brownies. And I was rummaging around in the kitchen pantry. And I saw the brownie mix. And I went to Mom and said, can I make the brownies? There's a mix. She said, sure. Wash your hands first. Rule one of cooking. Wash your hands first. So I washed my hands. And started. I'm reading a box. She said, be sure you follow the directions. I'm reading a box, following the directions. She comes in about five, ten minutes later. I've got the batter in the bowl. I've added the egg. I've added the oil. I've added the water. I've got the batter. I mean, the, the mix. And I've got my hands in it. And I'm doing this number. And she walks in and starts laughing and says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm making the brownies. And I'm following the instructions real carefully. She said, no, 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 what, what are you doing? I said, box said, mix by hand. <laughs> I had seen my mom make meatloaf, and I knew what mix by hand must mean. <laughs> I like clear instructions, but they need to be clear. Rejoice in the Lord always. Kyrate in curio pantote. Palinero, again I'll say, kyrate, kyrate, rejoice. That's an imperative, that's a command. And it's in Philippians 4 4, so we don't want to lose the context. Paul's already said, God's working in us. We work out because He's working in. Paul's already said, hardships lead to good things. Paul's already said, dying in Jesus is a whole lot better than living with y'all. Paul's already talked about the immense giving love of Jesus. And Paul's writing it from a Roman prison. Unless you're Tom Wright and you think he's in an Ephesian jail. And Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Joy, which is the root idea behind rejoice, 
The root idea is joy. Joy should be the calling card of every believer in Jesus. We should never be known as the sourpusses of the world. We should never be known as the mean people in the world. We should never be known as the taciturn people in this world. We should never be known as the people who are against a good time in this world. We should be the people who have the joy, joy. Oh, there's Ann Young. Hi, Ann. Welcome back from Colorado. Um, sorry. Digression. She's got her son with her too, and he's sporting quite the beard. Um, one of her sons. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? <laughs> How long? To stay. That should be us. Now you say, you don't know what's going on in my life. Yeah, you may be living in a Roman jail hole in the ground right now. You, you may have it really rough. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Yeah, you may have been responsible for killing Christians. Paul's got the chops to say this. Lord, would you please give me your joy each day as I walk with you? It seems to run against some of our personalities. It seems to run against some of those brain patterns we've got. Some of us believe life is hard and then you die. But Lord, you can rewire our brains and we ask you to put joy in our heart to stay. In Jesus, amen. So those are your gifts of Christmas past, present, and future. Um, I don't have a Christmas carol for you. I can wish you Merry Christmas. And I can tell you that uh, my daughter Rebecca sent me this of Christmas gifts. If there had been three wise women instead, diapers, formula, and casseroles, it would have been very different. Um, I have prayed over you and with you plenty, so I will just extend this last comment. Please... Um, grab a book, and uh, it is our honor if you would not only grab it, but if you would read some of it. And um, I really hope you have a Merry Christmas. You guys mean a lot to us, and we don't have a chance to express it very often, but this is one way to do it. And so we wish you a Merry Christmas. God bless you all. I love you guys.